We're going through the book of Acts verse by verse, and uh, we are up to chapter 2, and uh, this is the day of Pentecost, uh, known in some circles as the birthday, or the birth of the New Testament church. Finally warmed up. Praise God. The birth of the New Testament church, Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. When I first started serving God in a little church down in Tucson, uh, we would sing this chorus or this song, and I looked it up. It was written by Mr. Charles D. Tillman in 1895. The copyright status is now in the public domain. And the subject is Pentecost, Holy Spirit, Supplication. They were in an upper chamber. They were all of one accord. When the Holy Ghost descended, as was promised by the Lord, Oh, Lord, send the power just now. Oh, Lord, send the power just now. Oh, Lord, send the power just now and baptize everyone. Let the power from heaven descended with the sound of rushing wind. Tongues of fire came down upon them as the Lord said he would send. And, of course, there's the chorus again. Yes, this old-time power was given to our fathers who were true. This is promised to believers, and we all may have it too. Amen? Praise God. It's a gift. It's like icing on the cake. I like cake, but cake is so much better when there's icing on it. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. For the privilege and opportunity, God, to come together where three or more, or two or more are gathered in your name, and there's more than that here. You are here in our midst, and we thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead, that you ascended to heaven, and that you sent your Holy Spirit back here to earth. And we ask you this morning in Jesus' name, Heavenly Father, that you'd open our ears and our understanding. Bless your people this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. I see you're all excited. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Hiya. Oh, wrong button. Ah, no wonder. All right. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, when it arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. First of all, the day of Pentecost was a Jewish feast. It is called Pentecost because that's the Greek word for 50 days, or 50 the 50th day. It is known as the Feast of Weeks because... After the Passover, they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, which was the beginning of the barley harvest, where they would bring unleavened bread. And then they would count seven weeks plus one day. And this was the day they called Pentecost. And it was the uh, beginning of the wheat harvest. And they would bring bread with leaven in it. Big difference between the first festival, no leaven, can't have any leaven. You couldn't, over in Israel today, during, <laughs> during that week, you cannot buy anything with yeast in it. No yeast allowed. It's 
part of the law of Moses, I guess, but we don't follow the law of Moses anymore, except uh, we believe the Ten Commandments are still relevant. Amen? The rest of the dietary laws, <laughs> some, I heard somebody say, well, my brother Joe doesn't eat shrimp and lobster because the, the Bible forbids it. Well, that's not true. I love shrimp and lobster. <laughs> Bible says, so what does it say in the New Testament? All things have been created by God for our good, for our enjoyment. They are sanctified. The food is talking about is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So you can eat anything you want, really. When I was over in the South Pacific, I ate all kinds of stuff. Whatever was put before me, I ate. <laughs> Praise God. But let's get back to the day of Pentecost, a Jewish feast. This was one of the seven feasts of the Lord. There were three in particular where every male was supposed to come and bring an offering. This is described in Leviticus chapter 23, this particular feast, in verses 15 through 21, and then it's reiterated again in Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law, in chapter 16, verses 9 through 12. Hallelujah. The end of the har barley harvest, the beginning of the wheat harvest. It was associated with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. One of the commentaries I read said around the year 100 B.C., they started to put things together and say, hey, you know what? Let's, let's celebrate the giving of the law on the same day. This was the fourth of the seven holidays or festivals that God specifically said were his. Hallelujah. This took place or takes place sometime around the end of May, the beginning of June. And what's interesting to note to me is that this is a definite day on the calendar, on the Jewish calendar. And excuse me, if you buy one of those calendars at the store, you should see it on there also. It will be mentioned as Shavuot. We don't know when Jesus was born exactly, but we celebrate his day on Christmas Day. But we know exactly when this day happens every year. Hallelujah. A holy convocation. Everyone was supposed to bring two loaves of bread with leaven, and it specifically says in Leviticus how much wheat was supposed to be in there, fine wheat, about four liters, which is uh, quite a lot, actually. According to Dake's commentary, these two loaves of bread were about four pounds of flour, about 28 inches long, about 16 inches wide, and about 16 inches tall and they were not didn't have to bring every household didn't bring have to bring them they were pretty big size and what is really interesting to me to note is that they have to bring two and what that indicated according to the commentaries i read is when jesus died we know that he broke down the wall of partition between jew and gentile amen and these two loaves of bread are supposedly representing Jew and Gentile during this feast. So you're supposed to bring the two loaves of bread, seven one-year-old lambs without blemish, they had to be perfect, one bull, two rams, one male kid goat as a sin offering, two male lambs a year old as a peace offering, 
grain offerings of new grain, a quart of wine, plus all the oil and the flour that goes with these uh, animal sacrifices. According to Dake's commentary, in 1981, that was about $638.60 worth of offerings. I looked it up online. How do you calculate what's it in today's dollars? It's about $2,113.77. I don't think God minds if we round up. Amen? Praise God. That's a pretty good chunk of change to bring as an offering to God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. But notice. Hallelujah. Notice. It's the beginning. Pentecost is the beginning of the wheat harvest. And I find it so interesting that on the day of Pentecost, the beginning of that harvest of wheat, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And that indicates to us that the beginning of the end time harvest of souls began on that day. That's why the church was birthed on that day to coincide with the harvest to get people to think harvest a harvest a harvest what does the bible say jesus said the harvest is plentiful send i pray to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field and that's you and i praise god so they were together in one place it doesn't specify where many uh people believe it was the upper room where uh, jesus had um ate the uh, last supper but we know that in uh, acts chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 there were about 120 people gathered together devoting themselves to prayer they were devoting themselves to prayer and then it says suddenly i was watching a show this guy was some kind of a comedian, he says, uh, anybody ever watched Jacques Cousteau when you were a kid and his underwater uh, explorations? They're out there in the middle of the ocean doing their exploration, and they're looking for something when suddenly this thing that they were looking for appears. It's like, wow, you know, I mean, the, the ocean is so vast that they were able to find this thing they were looking for in the vast ocean, but it was suddenly, suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And I believe that it was a sudden thing because according to Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary, it inspired awe in the believers who were sitting there in this house. And then they were praying. And see, they were sitting. So you can sit and pray. You can kneel and pray. You can stand and pray. You can stand on your head and pray if you want. It doesn't matter. I heard Chuck Smith one time saying, you know, people remember the details when they're praying and God speaks to them or something like that. He says, I, I heard the one fellow say, I was under the piano <laughs> praying. And he remembered vividly where he was when he was praying. These people, the believers were sitting, praying. They were together. That's the main thing, that they were together and they were praying, devoting themselves to prayer. Hallelujah. And then a wind, a noise like a wind came. In John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, tells him, the wind is like the Spirit. The wind 
equals the Spirit, the wind. The Spirit of God is like the wind. It blows wherever it wants. You see, you can't see where it is. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effect of the wind. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the effect of the Holy Spirit on people's lives. People get convicted. I remember talking to a young man, and he was uh, he was weeping because he... He, he was so upset with himself because of the stuff that he had been doing. It was awful stuff that he had been doing. And, uh, and, and he, he felt so terrible about himself. He was weeping because the Spirit of God had touched his conscience. Amen? Praise God. We need more of that. Amen? A rushing wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. Hallelujah. This was a visitation of the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Not only an audible visitation, but we'll see in the next verses, a visible ex visitation. It was audible and visible. And I like this. The sentence begins with and. So there's more to the story always. There's always more to the story. And here it is again, and. And you'll see further on in the scripture here. The writer keeps adding, and this happened, and this happened, and this, and this, and this. There's always more, amen? <laughs> God is inexhaustible, hallelujah. And there are divided tongues as of fire. It doesn't say it was fire. As of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. One of the notes I found in my studies was an interesting thing is that when it says spirit with a capital S, it always means the Holy Spirit, but they don't always use the word holy in front of the Holy Spirit. But when they use the word ghost for the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, it's always preceded by the Holy Ghost. There is only one Holy Ghost, amen? Praise God. It rested on each of them. Now, what's so interesting about this tongues of fire? Let's go back to the beginning. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. What happened there? Moses is minding his own business. He's out in the desert tending sheep. He's 80 years old. Out there still tending sheep. Been there for 40 years. <whistles> Well, I'm just on the job. Nothing happening. God told me to deliver the people of Israel, but here I am tending sheep, and I'm 80 years old already. What's going on? And he sees the burning bush. And wow! The bush is on fire, and it's not being consumed. And nothing else is on fire. I'm going to go check it out. And this fire of God is there. I believe this is the same kind of fire that Moses saw. Wow, this is supernatural. Can you imagine a bush like the tree? Anybody ever see a Christmas tree catch on fire? Man, it's full of oil. I mean, this is an artificial one, but very dangerous. <laughs> Real Christmas trees are very dangerous. Anyway, so Moses sees the fire of God, and God speaks to him, and we know the rest of the story. He goes, he gets the children of Israel out, and we're back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 18. 
Mount Sinai, it says, is wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. This is God's presence, a visible symbol, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Browns, of the energy of the Spirit on the first church, the early New Testament church. And they didn't call themselves a church. They were believers in Jesus, and they were Jewish. They were part of the synagogue. They didn't see any difference on that day anyway. Hallelujah. John chapter 1, verse 33, John the Baptist is preaching, and he talks about Jesus, and he says, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit as a supernatural gift. Hallelujah. And all were filled and began to speak with in other tongues. Vine says this is a supernatural gift. Language is not learned. Strong's Concordance explains this as a language specifically not naturally acquired. We can look up 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. It says, talking about the gift of tongues, when you speak in tongues, you're speaking to God. Utterance means to speak, to say, to declare, to speak forth. You edify in yourself when you speak in tongues. Amen? Praise God. Why? Because you don't know what you're saying, and you have to believe that what you're saying, God knows what you're saying, and God answers prayer. Amen? That's why you pray in tongues. <laughs> you run out of words. God, I know I need to keep praying, and I don't know what to say. So I'm praying in tongues. But God knows what we're saying when we do that. Amen? And it builds your faith. I'm trusting you, God, that you know what I'm saying. Amen? Praise God, because I don't, but I know that God needs me to pray some more, and so I go, praise God. And then words in English will come back. Oh, okay. Praise God. That's a gift from God. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? We have direct access to God. Direct access to God because of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's go on. And in verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. And this word dwelling means they weren't just visiting. They permanently had come back. These were men, uh, Jewish men and families who had been dispersed. Anybody read about the uh, dispersion? Uh, was, uh, I believe, King Darius and King Cyrus. They allowed the Jews to go back. But most of them didn't. If you read that, that um, episode in the Bible, they were allowed to go back after the 70 years of captivity, and a bunch of them stayed. They didn't go back. But these men, they did go back. Devout men. Notice it calls them devout men. This is very important. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35, with uh, Jesus' birth, they come to present Jesus to the temple, Mary and Joseph. And there is a man there named Simeon. And it describes him as devout. Hallelujah. Waiting for the consolation 
of Israel. In verse 36 through 38 in Luke chapter 2, there's an old woman, a widow, a prophetess named Anna, and she prophesies about Jesus. Hallelujah. She was filled with the Holy Ghost. Praise God. These people were dedicated. They were devout. They were dedicated to serving God from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. And we're going to look at that word in a little bit here, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Notice in, in uh, verse 4 here, they began to speak in other tongues. It doesn't say languages mainly, but tongues. And this word in Greek is glossa. Hallelujah. It's the same word here. Is language, glossa. They doesn't say that they were necessarily speaking these languages, but these people heard them in their own languages. Praise God. They heard it in their own language. The multitude was bewildered. They came together. This noise was not just in the house. Somehow or another, the noise, what was going on, attracted attention. And it says a multitude, a crowd gathered. Doesn't say exactly all the details. Was they, were the disciples at the windows? Or did they come out of the house? Doesn't say. But what it does say is that a big crowd gathered. Hey, what is going on? Let's, what's happening here? The Jews... Hallelujah. The multitude was bewildered. This word uh, means, uh, I looked it up in uh, the Strong's Concordance, it means to be confused, astonished, confounded in mind. Not very many people use the word bewildered. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that they were shut off or they turned off. This, we don't know what's going on. We don't want to have anything to do with it. They weren't stymied. They weren't stuck. They were interested. They were bewildered, but they wanted to know what's going on. They were utterly amazed. In Acts chapter 9, verse 22, Stephen confounded the Jews. They couldn't stand up to his argument. It's the same word. They were astounded. They were confounded in mind, but they came together to find out What's going on? This attracted a lot of attention. They didn't have any cars back then, so people, you know, no, I guess uh, <clears throat> you could ride a camel around or a donkey, but most people were on foot back then. And so if you've ever seen videos of the Middle East, the crowds gather, big crowds friend of mine who happened to be the best man at my wedding lived in Saudi Arabia for a while and uh, he witnessed a beheading. This big crowd gathered. And he says that the reason they behead people is because they believe if you get your head cut off, you go straight to hell. But if you accidentally get your head cut off, that's okay. <laughs> Praise God. In any event, a big crowd shows up. And in verse 7 and 8, and there's that word, and continuing the story, they were amazed and astonished, saying, 
Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Obviously, they can tell by the way they dressed, maybe their accent. Who knows? My son tried taking Chinese in uh, uh, college, and he said that the teacher told him he sounds like a hillbilly when he <laughs> speaks in Chinese. So I guess you have to have the right accent. <laughs> My mom's cousin was a firefighter in New York City, and he had uh, lots of free time. He studied Chinese, and he says, oh, man, <laughs> the possibility for puns are just astounding because you have so many words that sound so familiar, you can make all kinds of jokes. <laughs> but they knew that they were Galileans, and this is kind of an insult because they knew that Galileans were uneducated. How could they be learning speaking in our languages? They were amazed, the unlearned, uneducated. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Peter and John are put on trial for healing uh, a lame man. And uh, the, uh, the judges and the jury, they look and the Bible says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Where did these men get all this learning from? They even said the same thing about Jesus. Where did Jesus get all this wisdom and learning from? He's from Galilee. And so they kind of looked down on them. These men are Galileans. <laughs> what do they know? What they're speaking in our language. We can hear them in our languages. How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And what were these native languages? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia. I think that's how you pronounce that. Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belong to Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans from Crete, and Arabians. <clears throat> and notice, no Palestinians, because <laughs> there's no such thing. Just saying, we hear them telling on our own tongues the mighty works of God. So let's break this down. No, first of all, it starts in the eastern part and goes west. The Parthians. Parthia was in northern India, more, more about. Media was, or the Medes, or more or less from modern-day Iran. Elan, or Elam, the Elamites were from more or less modern-day Iraq. Mesopotamia, more or less modern-day Judea, or Jordan. Judea modern-day Israel, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia were in Turkey, northern Turkey mainly. And then there's Egypt and Libya and Cyrene. And we know that there's a famous uh, man named Simon of Cyrene mentioned in the Bible. Then further west, you go to Rome the island of Crete and Arabians, people from all over the known world. That's what I love about the University of Arizona is they bring students from all over the world. God brings them here to Tucson, Arizona, so they can hear the gospel. I know there's ministries on um, the University of Arizona reaching out to the students. Praise God. And they hear them speaking the mighty works of God, the wonderful works of God, the mighty deeds of God, 
different translations, declaring the wonders of God, speaking about God's deeds of power. You can use your imagination. What were they saying? God's mighty deeds. Jesus rose from the dead. Remember Elisha. He was dead and buried and his bones were there and some guys were bringing a dead body out to bury him and the enemy came and they tossed the dead body on Elisha's bones and the guy came back to life just from touching Elisha's bones. The mighty deeds of God. He parted the Red Sea and then he drowned the Egyptian army. So it couldn't have been very low water. Some people were, (laughs) I heard the argument that, well, yeah, they passed through the Red Sea because it was low tide. Really? Well, if it was that low, how could it possibly drown the whole army of the Egyptians? What else did God do? He sent the ten plagues on Egypt. He passed over the children of Israel. The mighty deeds of God. Hallelujah. Goes on to say, And we'll end here. They were all amazed and perplexed. (laughs) That's a word people don't use that often. Perplexed. Hallelujah. In the King James it says they were all amazed and were in doubt. The Amplified Bible says all were beside themselves with amazement and were puzzled and bewildered. The Rames New Testament, it says, all were astonished and wondered. Apparently, what it's saying is it got their attention. What is going on? What is this all about? What's happening? They all continued in amazement and great perplexity. They were astounded. Vine says that the word amazed means they were in a state of surprise. Wow, what's this? heard the noise of the wind I don't doesn't say that they saw the tongues of fire but it says that they saw and heard the disciples speaking in unknown tongues hello it got their attention and they wanted to know more what does this mean and Peter said well, I'm glad you asked that question because next week, Peter explains it. It's good to ask questions, amen? And I don't mean to ask, that we should ask questions in an arrogant way or that we should uh, ask questions in an argumentative way or a belligerent way. It's good to ask questions because that way you get to know stuff when somebody gives you the answer, amen? What does this mean? Oh, boy. Next week, we're going to have an earful of what it means, and it's awesome. Others said, mocking, ha, 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 oh, they're just drunk. They're filled with new wine. Others, I imagine it doesn't say, but these others were probably not the devout men among them because they're mocking. Devout men don't, shouldn't, I should say, Shouldn't mock too much. Maybe we should mock some things, but (laughs) we shouldn't really be mocking things that we don't know. But if you do understand something and you you know 
the the uh, talking point, so to speak, or you know the the uh, the argument that can defeat. What does the Bible say? We're supposed to bring down strongholds. We're supposed to bring into captivity every thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Amen. We're supposed to come against every thought that that comes against the knowledge of God. Praise God. It got their attention. They're full of new wine. Dake's commentary says that this new wine is stronger than the regular wine I guess they had. And sweeter, and I guess probably addictive. And so whatever was happening to the disciples made some people think that they were drunk. They had been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They were touched by God, and it caused them to act in a way that, first of all, got other people's attention, and second of all, made people think, this is unusual. And it should be unusual. It shouldn't be business as usual, amen? When we pray to God, it shouldn't be just business as usual. Well, I guess God heard my prayers, oh well. No, we should be expecting God to do something, amen? I know two people that have brain tumors that need a miracle from God. So I'm praying for them. I know another person who is disabled. He had to get a lawyer to fight the, uh, the uh, social security system in order to get his benefits. And he still hasn't got them as far as I know. Poor guy didn't even have any quarters to wash his laundry. We need God to move, amen? We need God to answer prayer. We need a supernatural power of God working in our midst, amen? To fight off the enemy. To stand against in unrighteousness. To speak the word of God to souls that are lost, amen? To tell them God really does love you. To tell ourselves that too. God really, really loves you. I read one commentary that said every time John, the, the, the apostle John would preach, he would preach that God loves you. That was his message all the time. God loves you. <laughs> Praise God. So I guess some people complain, don't you preach about anything else? What else is there to preach about? What's better than that? That there's a living God who loves us. He loves us. He's a <laughs> I always get the picture of, of God holding us like, like a little baby, you know, a, a toddler asleep on dad's neck. But God wants us to grow up also so we're like the, the, the proud father with his son. What better thing that God loves us that Jesus took our place on the cross, that Jesus rose again from the dead, that the early believers would greet each other when he's alive. He's arisen. This happened, this day of Pentecost, this first birth of the church happened 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible says he showed himself by many infallible proofs. What does it take to get people saved? For Jesus to actually appear to them? For some people, yes, I guess it does. I've heard lots of stories about Muslims who Jesus appears to them. 
I read a story of a lady who was in a hospital bed, and, and they wouldn't allow the, the Christian minister to come in, and she said Jesus came in her room, and she got saved. Praise God. The birth pangs are happening. You can look up how many. There's over 200 earthquakes a day around the world. Over in the Philippines and the southern islands of Mindanao, they've had like, I don't know, it looks like 500 earthquakes in the last week. And aftershock, aftershocks, and aftershocks. Just amazing. Praise God. <laughs> but the message is that God loves us. And that also, not only he loves us, but he's provided for us the power to live for him. And the power, the main purpose of the Holy Spirit is to give us power to witness for Jesus. Once you start telling somebody about Jesus, you will experience the power of God. You'll feel, maybe not always, but you bring Jesus into the conversation and it changes things. Amen? Praise God. Good news is, it's for every believer, the Holy Spirit of God. Praise God. 